All right, folks, welcome back to Not Funny Guys Present Why Exploring the Philosophy, Rhetoric, and Cultural Impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Eric, who knows some. Uh, I'll emphasize he knows some. He knows some about, but not all about, philosophy. Ah, yeah. Mm, No. Rhetoric? (laughs) No. How about comic book culture? Uh, modern? Uh, moderate, moderate. Okay. And, and by okay. MCU? <laughs> Got it. All right. And by the way, folks, this is why he's here to talk to me. So this pod, of course, is an extension of our main podcast, The Not Fun Funny Guys Presents Off the Reels, where we dive into the films themselves. And here, we're going to go a little, the, little bit extra, a little couple extra inning rounds here. Uh, where we will explore some of those ideas that I find that kind of stick out and have a little bit more time set aside for some rigorous debate. And we're going to start, of course, with that all-important premise, why? And this is episode four, and we will be talking about balancing the individual and the collective in the Avengers. So, first off, let's start with some comic book background here. So the Avengers, the team that we see in the film... It has its origins, of course, in the comic books, which they first appeared together in Avengers number one in 1963. Um, the team itself was kind of oftentimes considered a copy of sorts of DC Comics' Justice League. Um, however, the actual first attempt to copy the Justice Society or the Justice League of DC was actually done by the Fantastic Four in 1961. Hmm. But yeah, there's always a comparison here. But there is, of course, there's differences we'll get into more because we will not be the last time we discuss the Avengers. Uh, so the comic was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, our two stalwarts of the Marvel Silver Age. And, of course, the original te- team, like the film, did come together originally to fight Loki. However, the team was a little bit different. It actually consisted of Iron Man, familiar, Thor, Hulk, and this is where we diverge, Ant-Man and Wasp, and this is the Hank Pym Ant-Man of his prime, uh, not the Scott Lang that we see in the films. Um, like the films, Loki, of course, is obviously motivated with the uh, with some of it being about wanting to get revenge on his brother. Uh, and the team was actually brought together by Hulk's kind of quote-unquote sidekick, Rick Jones, who I met, I mentioned back in previous episode number one about being a co- the guy that um Banner actually saved from the gamma bomb. Hmm, okay. And yeah. Yeah, he actually recruited Hank Pym and Ant-Man uh and Wasp and Thor to actually help Iron Man and Hulk face off against Loki. So, you obviously have the question since you're more familiar with the MCU, where is Captain America? And we did talk about this on the main pod, and as we did note, Captain America does not arrive until issue number 4 when they find yeah. him. And Hulk actually quits the team in issue number two. So, (laughs) (laughs) But speaking about the fact that since we are dealing with an MCU property, I do feel that it is uh, behooves us since we have introduced Hulk, we have introduced or we have introduced Iron Man. uh, And to some degree, we've already introduced Captain America. We are still missing two MCU characters from the comic books. Let's talk about Black Widow and Hawkeye real briefly. So in the comics, Black Widow was created by Stan Lee. Don Rico and I'm um, sorry, Don Rico and Don Heck, and first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 52 in 1964 as a Russian spy. Okay. okay. She eventually became an ally to the team in 1966, but she did not join the team 
officially until Avengers around number 111, 112 in 1973. Okay. He was kind of a side character. She got very involved and she showed up in Amazing Spider-Man, Daredevil, bounced around all over the place. And then, of course, Hawkeye was created by Stan Lee and Don Heck. He first appeared as a villain in Tales of Suspense number 57 in 1964 as well. He would later become reformed and join the Avengers in Avengers number 16 in 1965 when the whole team kind of turned over and Captain America officially became their leader. And you think that's why is, Hawkeye was a villain at the start of the Avengers movie, basically? I mean, he was well, they, they were, he was under they were a spell, of, but you know, was there a not wink and a nod? I think they were maybe giving a wink and a nod to that. Yeah. It's also interesting the fact that Black Widow, when her ally time, when she was an ally, she worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. So mm-hmm. there is connections there. But of course, what happens in the Avengers number 16, of course, is that Captain America basically forms a new team. Right. And because Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man, and Wasp all leave, and he and Hawkeye are joined by other two other reformed villains. I shout, dare I say, mutants. Who we will see as a foreshadowing of Avengers Age of Ultron soon to come of the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, who I will address specifically when we reach them later. But that became the team. It was eventually Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch. And by that point, also, Ant-Man had become Giant Man. He had learned to grow as well as shrink. So, which apparently, apparently pissed Hulk off. Hulk got kind of peeved about it. Strangely so he only enough. be one or the other? Like he had to he had to change his name. Oh, well, like, oh, it was, never it was, mind, guys. It was more like one of those things where he was like, Yeah, I'm doing this. Well, hey, I can do this too. <laughs> sort of like what Scott Lang does in Civil War is that kind of surprise, you know? And we're just like, God, that, that Pim guy, man, he can't fucking nail down a job, right? He can't really, <laughs> can't really choose his path yet, can he? <laughs> uh, and I didn't know this, but apparently he actually made he when he learned to do it in issue number two, he pissed off Hulk. And he's like mm. Middle fingers, I'm out of here. <laughs> so we, of course, when we come to the MCU, we have a very similar motivation and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to give a kudos to Marvel for kind of finding a way to stay true to that origin. But I mm-hmm. thought it was interesting that when we compare the teams, they look kind of similar, except we'd have no Captain America in the comics, and we had no Hawkeye or Black Widow, and we had Ant-Man and Wasp, who we won't see, of course, until later in the um, actual films. So I put those side by side here. So MCU, we got Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Hawkeye, Black Widow. And of course, in the comics, it was Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Ant-Man, and Wasp. Mm. So returning, of course, to the MCU, um, in the film, I one of the things that has always struck me is that there is a very strong pull and give between these individual heroes and their individual powers needing to come together and form some sort of collective force to fight back against a greater threat. And this leads us to the sort of primer for our discussion here about the the pull and give or whatever you want to see there, the push and pull of individualism and collectivism as they are representing the Avengers. And so before we get to that topic, let me uh, bring you up to speed on this a little bit. So individualism as a philosophy basically values Personal independence. It's very strong these days in America, particularly in Gen Z and millennials. And it's a very strong running origins. But as a philosophy, it basically values, like I said, personal independence as its most important quality. 
with individualistic cultures, people most likely are most likely to see themselves as separate from others, define themselves based on their personal traits, and see their characteristics as relatively stable or, and unchanging. An individualist's sense of self is defined more by who they are on the inside, minimizing the influence of factors, context, and people on the outside of the individuals. And of course, individuals tend to communicate in very direct styles and other things of that nature. But this is kind of born out of what we might say the, the Enlightenment. As we moved away from the medieval culture, that was way more collectivist, say the Protestant reformation things of that nature we've been on an individualistic track or a very strong one for centuries in a lot of ways and america itself is very much sort of viewed in the the lens of an incredibly strong individualistic culture generally speaking now all these things need to be taken in moderation because individualism can go too far if you want to start thinking about our previous episode where we talked about objectivism with ayn rand that's what i'm talking about where we get too far down the other way now mm-hmm. in, in 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 counterbalance shall we say to individualism we have collectivism which is a philosophy that values personal interdependence in collectivist cultures people are most likely to see themselves as connected to others define themselves in terms of relationships with others and see their characteristics as more likely to change across different contexts i would say today we are generally a decent blend of both of these in a lot of ways which is not a bad thing uh, there are different places and different people and different times in our lives where I think we might lean more to one of these than the other. Um, a collectivist self is defined more by who they are with other people or by their membership in a group. Think MAGA or Christianity. It's not to say we don't do this. Mm-hmm. However, maintaining social harmony along with Getting along with others and meeting social expectations are more important to collectivist cultures. I think this is where we probably differentiate a little bit. Um, I don't think we, in the age of social media, I don't know if we even care about social harmony and well, <laughs> getting along. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then they note here that there are collectivist cultures that tend to engage in more indirect styles. And there's a lot of heavy influence, say, with certain Asian African cultures that can be highly collectivistic. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, the Chinese culture was naturally had a collectivistic kind of view, which is why I think communism of its own brand took a very strong hold there, to be quite honest, sure. not to offend anybody of the Communist Party or anything. I'm just saying you guys were probably <laughs> culturally already leaning in a direction that made, you know, communism not a hard thing to craft on. So. In, in fairness, I'm not necessarily too lenient on the Communist Party either. <laughs> in, in all fairness to the Communist Party, fuck off. <laughs> I, 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 I guess I'm less, I'm less, I'm less, I'm less worried about offending the Communist Party as I am saying I'm not out to insult Chinese people. That's sure. what I would no, say. No, definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. communists culturally, yeah. heritagedly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely not. Yeah. I'm not trying to say that all Chinese are communists. I'm just saying no, that Chinese, as a collectivist culture would be more um, suitable for, like I said, a grafting on of something like a communist type of structure, Mm. um, which encourages that individual, tries to discourage the individualistic and encourage more of the collective nature. So it is worth noting that, of course, individualist idea of having a more immutable, uh, authentic, private self is not as appealing in collectivist cultures, individualist self-expressions and styles, uh, may even seem selfish, disruptive, or alienating to a more collectivist person or group. Inversely, a collectivist priority for social agreement and cooperation. So we're noting here some breakdowns of how 
when these cultures sort of meet up against each other, the things they might find, um, shall we say, um, abrasive, you know, abrasive. I would say also here that, you know, the idea of the individualist expressive culture, I think Japan is an interesting point of departure where there is a, I think, a strong mix of both. But in a very strange way where I think Chinese uh, cult, I'm not Chinese, but Japanese culture has an interesting sort of old school collectivist view, but also with a very individualistic desire for self-expression at the same time. I think there's an interesting if anybody's listening in the academic community, there's a thesis I'm sure that someone wants to write here. <laughs> and to to further dig a hole here, perhaps, but I think that to the to the point of like the Chinese Communist Party and stuff like that, uh, you know, I I was a resident of Hong Kong for a year and a half. That doesn't necessarily make me an expert in anything, uh, but I can say that a lot of the people I met are lovely, are wonderful people. Obviously, Hong Kong is a little bit different, but I did travel to the mainland, and even then, I I met lovely, wonderful people. Um, to the extent that I could form relationships with people, people I think have a a personal hunger there. They have an individual drive and they are doing these things. And I I felt like in a lot of cases it was it was the Communist Party, right? It was the party aficionados or whatever that were enforcing that collectivism more than it was the people through their actions. And and so here's an interesting point. There's you an enforcement actually... of collectivism, if that will. Yeah, and you at this tubs that dovetails well with this next bit here, which is just because a cultural background of an individual, mm. um, someone's culture background is individualist, you should not assume that they are. Sure. There is sure. room, and for everyone that somewhere in um, that someone, everyone sort of falls somewhere on an individualistic collectivist spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, even within a very collectivist culture, you will find people who are more individualistic. Furthermore, psychology research has shown that people. Uh, shift along this spectrum learning more collectivist or individualistic depending on the situation if we're talking about a spectrum this comes up to our discussion question about where we see characters inside the avengers films within this spectrum so how well do we feel the avengers film is able to tackle this because it really is kind of an underbedded problem when you think about shield iron man Captain America, Iron Man, Bruce Banner, all these people fall in ways along this spectrum. And I think that's what I'd like to us to explore a little bit more here now that we've set the table. Okay. I I feel like, I don't know. So I, I look at the Avengers as there's an excellent scene that it, it caught my attention more in rewatching it recently, um, which is one of the fun things about doing that. I mean, and I hope you're all listening to the regular podcast um, because one of the things I noticed was that, like I said, I, I think I talked about it on the, the regular one that this is a three act show. And, you know, the second act is the dysfunction. The third act is the coming together. And one of the most poignant moments of coming together was um, Tony Stark, Iron Man, who I think really exhibits the individual Ayn Rand sort of persona we've, we've kind of already talked about. Um, he even talks about the fact I work alone, right? Things like that, a lot of those sort of lines. Um, and so I think Thor had a similar line too, but that might be my my memory um, missing me. But to that end, um, I, there was a moment when Tony Stark lands in the middle of kind of, it's just the the mass chaos of all the the aliens at that point. Um, attacking and he lands and he hits Captain America and shoots his shield and Captain America's shield deflects his energy beams and you know kills a bunch of 
of the Cree or whatever. Um, and what I thought was really cool um, was that was a very, he landed, he did that to help. And then he took back off to go do his job. And I thought that that was a really good moment of kind of showing the recognize the recognition of Tony Stark that I have to work with someone sometimes, right? I have to do things for the greater good. Even if it is not benefiting me personally, I needed to land here, help him clear out the field a little bit, and then I can move on to my job again, right? And so that was a thing that could he have done his own job, right? Not my job. I'm going to sit here and, and do my thing type thing. Sure. But there's also he recognized if I don't step down there, you know, this gives us an advantage somehow. And I think I think too often we we lose sight of the the team aspect that gives us an advantage personally, right? That, I, that I think that's what's. But I think that's what's similarly fascinating. I was I was sort of sketching out for myself mm. what I thought would be like a scale. Uh-huh. And so if I was looking towards the collectivist end, I would put shield, cap, and then black widow with Hawkeye moving more towards the middle. Okay. And then on the other side, I have Thor more towards the middle, followed by Ant Banner with Iron Man at the farthest end. And I think what's interesting about the give and pull of, the sh- of this movie is that they all, in a way, gravitate towards the middle, realizing that in a lot of ways, that's the superior position for maximum efficiency and accomplishing their goals. It's the fact that, you know, in a lot of ways, this movie forces Captain America, and that's why I don't have him on the farthest end of the collective, is that he, what does he do? He breaks ranks and goes looking for that phase two stuff because his exposure to Tony and banner makes him makes him question and he's like he strikes out individually to go and basically do what they find on their own but he finds another element of it of course shield is going to be the farthest in the collective because the entire organization has to operate in a collective fashion for it to work i mean when hawkeye shows up and still under the influence of loki and scrambles things they're in pure chaos but they're trying to get their cohesiveness back in order to not literally fall into the ocean or crash the helicarrier. And then uh, even when Hawkeye comes back to himself, I still see him pushing more towards the middle. He's a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he doesn't seem... He and Black Widow both seem less afraid of like doing their... like Freelancing a little bit, if they need to. But the the battle on the air carrier or whatever you call it is is helicarrier. Yeah, helicarrier is a is a good example in my opinion of the verses and kind of to the point of what I was saying before about the the communist party enforces collectivism sometimes, uh, which is that on one hand you have the the military, right? Well, yeah, to to extent, but you have the Avengers at that point, right? Each of the the individual Avengers running off during that fight to take care of their own needs, and they are running. I mean. This maybe is is getting a little thing because at the end of the day they save the the helicarrier, they do good things, but they do it in a sloppy, bad way. When it's in not reality, natural, right? It's not their natural state. And in the assault on there, that is Loki having the power over people, quite literally, forcing them to work together to his common vision that he has created as the greater good of himself. And so you have Hawkeye doing everything and and his kind of minions doing all the right stuff for Loki. And it's a coordinated event at that point, whereas the Avengers aren't. And then it has to flip later for the Avengers to kind of take on that coordination too. Well, if you flip the coin on this situation, what's so fascinating to me in some ways that I, one of the reasons why I really like this film, well, is this, this idea that 
with the heroes, we have incre- we have a spectrum of individualistic characters who some of them lean towards the more group working. Some of them work to the very much the other end of the spectrum where it's like I work alone to use mm-hmm. the Tony Stark thing. Mm-hmm. But their coming together is designed for the parts to create something, a greater good. The parts coming together to work together. You know, the Nick Fury line about there was an idea of a group of individuals coming together to do the take on the challenges that no one person could do individually. Loki is the dark side of that same coin, because what he is, is he is the most pure individualist who literally wants to force everybody else into a collective of subservience. Yes. Right. You are they, are, they are the where they are all supreme individualists who want to come together to uphold everybody's individualism. And I mean, that that paints an interesting crossroad that I feel like I need to bring up here, which is at what point does collectivism in that sort of communist party way turn into tyranny, turn to despotism, right? Where you have that Loki figure saying, we are all going to do this and it's going to be a better world for us all doing the same thing. Oh, by the way, it's all for me, right? And so like there's that weird natural bridge of where does collectivism turn back into individualism right in that sense right it's well you can get all circular you can get really for me. you can you can get really circular with this i've actually i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna type this up to be a more but i took that collectivism i think the avengers are skip. individualism that benefits collectivism well yeah it's, but what i've actually did was here i did i did i added this and made a graph now i've made a graph and the set the x-axis that runs the collectivist individualist the y-axis i've now have running freedom to authoritarianism and if I do this, I go down here, way down here in the corner mm-hmm. of authoritarianism and individualism, and I've got Loki. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to move some people around. I'm going to type this up, and I'll put sure. it in the show notes. So I think, because I think I'm going to play with this a little bit more, because I think it'd be fascinating to see where I would put some of these people along the line, because I then would kind of move Cap up into the freedom category, but on the collectivist side. And I guess I would move Iron Man up in a like a lot of ways. I'm making him the opposite on that spectrum side of Loki. He's mm. the individualistic who seeks freedom mm-hmm. versus the individualist who thinks authoritarianly. Okay. And I like I said, this is a general topic I've been very fascinated by with a while. And I'm actually writing a book proposal because to zoom this out or just even more for a brief moment before we come back. Uh-huh. Um uh, and I referenced this, and I sent you the link to it, and I'll include in the show notes. There's a, the channel Screen Crush does a wonderful uh, MCU versus Snyderverse. They did this two years ago. They did a breakdown, and they talk heavily about this idea of collectivism and individualism. Not only is it represented inside the MCU, but how the creative process outside of it as well functioned very similarly for a long time until ultimately kevin feige became the sole voice but before that there was a group with favreau and james gunn Mm -hmm. there was a an element in how they how they made it work in a way that has become more successful because in a lot of ways i think trying to force if you tried to force superheroes either into an extreme individualistic point of view which i think is one of the guilty sins that Zack snyder did or if you tried to go too far the other way into a collectivist, you really are undermining superheroes themselves. They represent, like, I think most of us, they are a mirror reflection of us because I think in a lot of ways we are somewhere in that middle. 
we move along that spectrum somewhere near the middle most of our lives. We have a sense of strong individualism, but we also belong to certain communities, organizations where that individualistic voice is added to a greater collective. We are not the Borg <laughs> where we subvert <laughs> ourselves. That, right. by the way, that is the ultimate metaphor for collectivism. And that is the ultimate fear of people who don't like collectivism is they think you give up freedoms, you give up, you know, what you basically, they basically are afraid of a Loki right. kind of thing. At the same right. time, they don't seem, they don't seem to notice it when it shows up either, but won't go down the road, but I will include that in the show notes because that's a good point of continued discussion. And I like the way he breaks that down because I think he, he shines a really interesting light. And like I said, I've written a book proposal to, wanting to talk more about this myself because I'm ultimately fascinated the way that Iron Man's character, the way he moves along this perspective, this spectrum himself through his arc, Tony Stark's arc in this entire MCU run that he's involved, the 10, 11 years he was involved, literally sees him moving along this spectrum. You can even see him changing mm. as you do so. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I agree. Any other thoughts we want to throw out there? I I guess I remain a little confused in some way about if we look at the MCU up till now, right? Up till mm -hmm. the Avengers, right? And kind of, so this, what, five movie, six movie kind of capture. And there's some arguably, as we retcon stuff, there, there are more things coming to play. But if you look at the MCU as Kevin Feige has built it now, heading into phase two with some of the announcement stuff, so we can maybe rope in Iron Man 3 and, and uh, mm -hmm. Thor 2 to come, um, and, and even Winter Soldier, how does this how does this moment of the MCU, this early, early moment of the MCU compare to the Snyderverse in terms of the individualism of the characters because there are such obviously parallels in the the morals and the the kind of the characters themselves between the dc and the the mcu um i i think obviously there a lot of people differ i'm sure we'll get comments but like to that end like how do those two groupings because that was them forming you know the justice league at that moment they were starting to realize i mean they did it later but that's because they realized what kevin feige did with the avengers well, here I'll, I'll, I have a partial answer for you here. Okay. Part of the problem with Snyder's approach, and this does bear out, and they do touch on this in the Screen Crush video, mm -hmm. is that we're not just dealing with individualism in the Snyderverse. We're dealing with hyper-individualism, where we reach a point where this is where we tie back to what I noted previously about the objectivism of Ayn Rand and Iron Man 2 and all that, is we reach a point where the superhero is literally put in a situation where do i do what's best for me or do i or do i deign to help others oh yeah i mean it's he a common counter, plot point right but that's a counterintuitive to superheroes a superhero like if you take the peter parker principle of with great power comes great responsibility the idea is you have this power you have a responsibility to use it to help others that's not the case in man of steel that Superman is literally raised by Kevin Costner and Diane Lane right. to, I mean, he doesn't even, he doesn't even save his father. He right. is literally designed to protect himself. Um, I think the worst example for me was when, um, and with great power that, comes great risk, right? Is basically, well, you know. well, but it's like, you know, great power. Don't tell anybody. That's what it is. It's like, 
It's like, you sure. know, but like, I think the worst example, I mean, I mean, Snyder does a lot of things with the Jesus stuff where he's like literally sitting in a chapel, whether he's going to go help people or not. That would not be something that a superhero would do sure. if you were going by the the more traditional sense and not this hyper individualistic. But I think one of the worst ones for me, the what the crime for me was was in um, Batman v Superman when Lex Luthor plants that bomb in that guy's wheelchair and it goes off in the thing and what does right. superman do he just leaves i'm like what mm. like you're not going to try and help and see if they're survivors no oh okay oh oh, oh okay cool I mean, so if you know speeding bullet you know there i mean and let's silver and, moment to, to and let's let's bring let's bring this back to the mcu here and let's talk about what our co our host of the main pod and our dear friend casey brought up in the main episode when he talked about Snyder's Man of Steel and the chaos attack the deaths in New York City. Now, did anybody at any point in Man of Steel did did Superman deign to give a rats about anybody beneath him other than stopping Zod? Only at the very end when he snaps Zod's neck. Okay. Yeah. At no point does he pay any attention. Whereas the Avengers team faced with a terrible situation Captain America leads them into making their priority to trying to minimize what is going to be a terrible toll on the city, but containing it to a specific section of the city. Now, of course, the uh, Zack Snyder was obviously on the World Security Council and said, no, nuke it. Um, mm -hmm. Thank goodness Iron Man interrupted that plan, but that's where I disagreed with our esteemed host, Casey, on the other thing. Yes, I'm not saying that there weren't death, but I'm saying what I see in the Avengers and their actions in comparison to Man of Steel and Superman is I see people who technically all almost have less power than Superman doing their very best to not only fight an enemy, but contain it and try to implement their powers with the greatest maximum level of responsibility towards those who they protect. And that's the problem with the hyper-individualism we sometimes find in the Snyder films that some people find very appealing. I do not. Is that these those characters, if they care about humans, it's like, you're lucky I care about you. It's like, you know what they are? They're like one step away from being Homelander and the boys. Okay? Hmm. And if you I don't mean, get it, that reference, go watch the Amazon show. You'll see what I mean. In, in fairness... Well, I guess that's just the way that the Snyderverse was creating. I, I am interested to see how James Gunn takes this because, yeah, you're right. It was meant to be gritty. It was meant to be real. It was meant to be hardened, jaded superheroes, you know, and things like that. And it obviously didn't really pan out in the long run. Well, I'll give you a little bit of advice here. And I think this is something that Snyder fell prey to. Um, Grant Morrison in his book, Super Gods describes what he considers to be two types of creators as they come to comic books. And in this case, we're talking about film adaptations, but he says there are two types. There are the missionaries and the anthropologists. And I'm paraphrasing here, but missionaries are people who come with a built-in vision of how things should be. And they come to, in this case, the movie properties of comic books, mm -hmm. and they make it fit their vision of what they want it to be they impose it like a missionary would coming to a people trying to convert them right in contrast an anthropologist 
comes to this or this comic book or this movie franchise and he seeks to understand what it is and to better bring out new information from within it by actually channeling it through what is actually there and not trying to necessarily hammer away at it and make it into something that maybe it's not. And I think the sin that Zack Snyder fell prey to is that he came with a very specific vision and tried to make Superman. Now, I'm not saying Batman wouldn't work for his vision. I think Batman doesn't work that badly. Ben Affleck didn't really do a terrible job. Batman works within that kind of framework, but Superman doesn't. That was my pro- that was I guess the big sin was that he led off with Man of Steel and he tried to invert a character like Superman. You know, it would be like if he they tried to make Iron Man, they made Captain America first and Captain America was a individualistic dick who just told everybody <laughs> to f off. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's what you're doing. Yeah. You would be inverting the character, and I'm like, oh, wrong character. That's Iron Man. Right. You know, that's what I mean by that vision. So that's that's my la- that'll be my final thought. So let me ask you: Do you have any final thoughts on this matter? Because I'm I'm going to just say it right now. We this won't be the last time we talk about this stuff. It'll come up. No, I I I I'm curious to think about it, and interested to try to like push myself to recognize some of the differences and see how it continues to play out through phase two and phase three, especially as we introduce more characters and more internal um, challenges, right? You know, people struggling with their own mm-hmm. internal choices and I'm about to get real personal in these next films Stark and stuff. Yeah. Especially, I mean, Iron Man three obviously is basically what I'm referencing here, but then yeah. even all the way through Ultron, right? That the, all of phase two is about grappling with your power. So I am very interested to kind of see how this goes. And yes, folks, you should come along with the ride. Make sure you subscribe, <laughs> follow us on our main pod, follow us here, listen, give us your thoughts, tell us, we want to hear from you. So not only subscribe, share, Put it out there into the world. Rate us, review us, comments. We definitely want to hear not only that, but if you want to talk to us personally, please write us an email. Casey is dying to hear from you, like dying to hear from you. He like (laughs) checks the email every 10 seconds. He's like, come on, come on. You can email us at notfunnyguys.offthereels at gmail.com. You can also hit us up on Instagram at at not underscore funny underscore guys underscore presents and also over on Twitter at not funny guys pod. So come say hello. Let us know what's going on and we will hopefully hear from you very soon. Talk to you then, guys. 